Hello and welcome to this episode of the Horror Drafts Podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Brantley Palmer, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Mr. Nicholas Schwartz. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm great, Brantley, as always. Excellent. Always great. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And I'm doing great today because our guests are Teresa Daniels, co-host of the historical podcast We Effed Up, and Juliet Fremholt, musical director of WYSO 91.3, serving Southwest Ohio with independent news and music. But together, they're the incredibly informative hosts of the wonderful podcast Attack of the Final Girls, which I've been a fan of since they began in the fall of 2021. Juliet and Teresa... Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you for being a fan. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for putting on such a wonderful podcast. I truly have been a fan since the beginning. Uh, I have been wanting to get you both on this podcast for a long time. (laughs) Uh, I listened to your podcast and I'm like, God, I wish I had the ability to be as articulate and smart as these two are. I was just about to say that. I know. It's, like, <laughs> I, I it's intimidating this, right it now. Is. Like, it is. No, seriously, it is a little bit. I, I, it is. I edit this podcast and I listen to myself and I'm like, God, you're such an, you're an idiot. Really. Stop talking as I'm editing, right? But then I listen to your podcast, Attack of the Final Girls, and I'm just like so brilliant so like smart like i wish i had this ability so i stand in envy and uh, you know just absolute jealousy of how wonderful you two are on that podcast because i it blows me away every time oh well thank you you. so much i'm really glad we're recording this so i can have this for a daily affirmation yeah absolutely (laughs) we've never had had that amount of affirmation at one time so (laughs) we really appreciate it because there are many times when we're recording and afterwards i was like did we just say anything coherent mm-hmm. was any of that coherent <laughs> so so we we really truly appreciate that and i know brantley that you have been trying to get a hold of us and we were so bad with our social media no and finally i was like you know what i i've been able to get my two brain cells to work together let's let's talk yeah. to them let's get it together <laughs> let's do this and we're really excited to be recording with you we've only done this we've only been on other podcasts maybe twice two Mm -hmm. two other times so this is really awesome for us nice oh that's awesome yeah well hopefully this will be um at least fun even though at least myself i don't want to speak for nick probably will not be as nearly as informative as your podcast but hopefully you'll have fun here at least um you can speak for me that's (laughs) totally accurate uh well uh, before we get into the draft, everybody, you know we always start nice and easy, and we like to see what people have been watching, listening to, reading, or otherwise enjoying. So we're going to start with our guests, Julia and Teresa. What have you been into lately? Well, um, I have been enjoying checking out all of the movies that have come out so far this year. My partner and I are big cinema goers. Um, we often go with Teresa and her partner. Yeah. And I've just been digging everything from the horror offerings to things like Super Mario Brothers, which just took me back to my childhood. Like sometimes, you know, I'm really looking forward to Evil Dead Rise coming out later this week, but I was equally looking forward to, you know, a dumb movie with animated characters from my childhood (laughs) that just made me smile the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been that for me, as well as digging back into a lot of sci-fi reading. I Mm. was away from the genre for a long time, and I've been digging into a lot of new-to-me books, like more modern sci-fi, and uh, just finished To Sleep Among the Stars by Christopher Paolini, 
It's a very long book, but it was a worthwhile read. Oh, excellent. That's great. Yeah. Um, I have not been absorbing very much media aside from garbage reality TV. Um, <laughs> just caught up on Love is Blind, which mm-hmm. finished up last night um, on Netflix among some technical difficulties. Mm. For our podcast, we um, were actually for our Patreon. We are watching through The Haunting of Hill House, um, which is fantastic. We love anything that Mike Flanagan does. Mike Flanagan, if you're listening, we love you very much. We do. Mm-hmm. Be our friend. Um, yeah. He's a big listener, so yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you imagine? Uh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? It should be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great. <laughs> like low-key fan. Yeah, um, yeah right. <laughs> like, oh, I love you guys on Twitter, and then you're just like, die just yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a little um, nervous we're like you know too celebrity for him <laughs> so he'll reach out someday when someday, he builds yeah, up the nerve yeah he'll dm though yeah, he'll, he'll want to put yeah. it on the main just to, you know he's, right. he's low-key about yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah just keep an eye on your twitter you never know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then reading wise what did i do? oh so actually i've been reading back through um the necronomicon collection of hp lovecraft because mm-hmm. i am low-key on you know in all of my am- amazing amounts of free time um trying to develop a board game so i've been reading back through that and then trying to like you know I, it's gonna be I, I don't know i'm in the developing stages so yeah that's what yeah. i'm reading right now is like reading through all of the short stories trying to get like information from that and then um I just finished, uh, oh man, what is it called? The sequel to My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. Um, he's yes. a horror author, so mm-hmm. um, his sequel just came out. I can't even remember what it's called, which is terrible, but it's the <laughs> second um, in the series, and it was very good. So, um, yeah. Sorry, I'm it. looking for it because I have it on my shelf, but it's too far away for me to read. Right it's now. like, don't, something, something. It's yeah, red. yeah. <laughs> It is. It's a red cover. I'm seeing it yeah. on my shelf, and I can't read it. I'm so sorry. I because I'm blanking on the name of it too. Um, I haven't okay. started that, but I have it. Yeah, it's really, really good. I really enjoy Stephen Graham Jones. So, um, my my whole life is horror all the way down, pretty much, yeah. um, with the exception of the terrible reality TV. Well, <laughs> you got to have hey. a way to, you know. We all blow contain off multitudes. Yeah, we. You know, we we very much. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, uh, just proving my point, how daunting it is having you two on here. You're both talking about things you're reading and like really actively <laughs> engaged in. I was just going to talk about some fun movies I watched. So. We watch fun movies. Yeah, we like fun movies. Yeah, we love that. Um, uh, so I went, uh, I got a chance to go, uh, a rare opportunity to go to the theater uh, on my own and see the new Scream film. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I got to do that kind of opening Thursday night, which was uh, a rare treat. And I really uh, enjoyed the opportunity to do that. And uh, Nick, I know you haven't seen it too much, so I'm going to keep this pretty super not, spoiler not free. Um, I will say I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. I'd say it was... You know, like roughly on as an overall film on par with the fifth one for me. So, you know, the Radio Silence two films so far have been about the same. I sort of agree with what I've seen a lot of people say, which is that um, it has high highs and some kind of low lows. So I do kind of feel that a little bit with the film. I think there's some areas that it could could have really improved on, but some areas I thought were just fantastic. And um, I'm going to leave it there because, again, I don't want to say anything else, Nick, to, to, to spoil anything for you. 
Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I really want to see it. I was yeah. just listening to your episode on um, 2022 Scream, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me want to go revisit that and then, yeah, go right to see Scream 6. But I doubt I'll have a chance <laughs> until it's, you know, here. <laughs> yeah, are you probably going to be waiting till streaming, basically, Nick? I think I'm going to have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nick has two kids at home, so he's, he, they're, you know, more outmanned than I am here. So it's a little ch- more challenging, I imagine, to get yeah, to it's tough. I can't. They're also, you know, five and a half is the oldest, and I can't quite, I mean, like, I'm over 17. I could get him into Scream 6 if I really wanted to, but I don't, I just feel like it's just a bad parenting move. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little young, just a little bit. Yeah. Tiny bit. Tiny yeah. Bit. My niece, when she, she's 18 now, but when she was far too young, got in trouble at school for saying on Friday the 13th, happy Jason Day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That was a letter home. Wow. It also just seems so innocuous, though, for like a young child to say to get in trouble for that. Uh, Well, I I don't want to move on yet. I know know you both saw it because I listened to your episode on it. So I didn't know if you two wanted to jump in and share any of your thoughts on it. Uh, Non-spoilery thoughts, I guess, on it. Of course. Yeah. We, I loved it. I think we both were on the same page. Um, mm. Pretty much any time Juliet and I see a new movie together, we're immediately, as soon as we get home, we're immediately messaging one another about mm. it. And Scream 6 was no exception. Um, we love the Scream franchise. Um, we hope to feature it more in our own podcast. Um, there's just so much uh, media about it already that it's really kind of hard. I don't, we don't want to like, you know, go over... Uh, well-trodden ground necessarily but on the other hand um yeah we i think we both loved it i think we were both on the same page um i loved the gore i love that the scream franchise is kind of evolving into a more gory uh franchise um i love the the handoffs which i won't say what those are but i love those handoffs um Mm -hmm. in both five and six um yeah i loved it I also think this one was a real treat for fans of the franchise. Like I'm looking forward to it coming to home media and streaming because I want to go back and check out all of the little Easter eggs. I caught some of them in the theater, but I know that there are a bunch more that I couldn't even catch because I was so swept up in the moment of seeing it. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to a rewatch and Hopefully they'll be like, uh, I've really been getting back into special features a lot lately and I am loving putting commentaries on and like listening to the actual filmmakers discuss a lot of the like ins and outs and stuff of the filmmaking process. So I'm really looking forward to that when it comes to home video. Oh yeah, for Definitely. sure. Yeah. We, we do try to wait until it gets to streaming or home video before we cover it on our podcast, just because we know folks you know have kids and they can't make it to the theater and we fortunately are able to get to the theater a lot so Mm -hmm. we don't want to spoil things ahead of time so um yeah once once it comes out on home media can't wait to cover it yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) uh all right nick what about you man um yeah well you know we have uh a rare occasion where we have like several episodes lined up now um, and so I can't speak about any of the things I've been watching because okay. it's really all in prep for those, uh, including tonight's. So yeah, I got all nothing. Right. No, no TV or anything even you've had a chance to watch or anything like that? Yeah, no. Um, I know it's like, it's embarrassing. Oh, no, it's not really. I'm, I fucking love it and I'm not really ashamed to say it, but I'm probably gonna get blowback here. But, uh, my wife and I just finished our like almost annual rewatching of the entire series of Friends. And you know what? Love that show. 
I'm not going to apologize for it. It's you great. shouldn't. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do oh, you. thank you. Yeah. Never apologize. You do you. Yeah. Thanks. We, we have our own, Oh yeah. you know, comfort TV shows. I can't tell you how Wet Hot American Summer, the television oh, show that they so did good. on Netflix. <laughs> I've yes. seen that at least a thousand times. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm not going to apologize for it. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's so <laughs> I have watched High Fidelity, the Hulu series, mm. an embarrassing amount of times. I haven't seen the Hulu series yet, but it's one of my so favorite good. movies. So. It's oh, very good. It's so good. That's good. I'm, it was canceled, right? That sucks. They only got yes. like one season. That's yeah. such a bummer. It's criminal that it got canceled. Juliet told me to watch it. I watched it and I screamed when it was finished. I was like, are you kidding me? It was, <laughs> was so it, yeah. disappointing like that it was canceled because yeah. it was really so good. Mm-hmm. Super mm-hmm. good. So, yeah, no, don't apologize for friends. If, if it brings you any sort of comfort or joy, then it's worthy. Even if it's problematic or, you know silly or whatever i just finished watching through seinfeld for the first time ever um never seen it yeah yeah it like only by virtue of it being on netflix did i even watch it and mostly it was while i was working because i work from home so Hmm. i just watch put you know put stuff on in the background um yeah don't get the hype (laughs) which i'm sure also blow back here seinfeld don't get the hype i i like the first two seasons and then after that i was like this is so goofy I don't understand it. The best part is Kramer, and we all know what happened to that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this Instagram called Sign Peaks, which is where they take Kramer's scenes and they remove the laugh track and put the Laura Palmer theme from Twin Peaks in it, <laughs> and it is hysterical. That's the best part of Seinfeld. You don't even have to watch the show. Just go to Sign Peaks, watch all that, and that's as much as you need to know. Kramer belongs in Twin Peaks. <laughs> that's my hot take I like it. that's very funny i had no idea i'm gonna have to check that out that sounds like a blast <laughs> it's great oh all right yeah that's awesome my, my uh, nick my wife is a, a huge friends fan that's, that was probably like her favorite sitcom growing up so she loves friends so yeah, yeah. i mean you know it's it's a large part of nostalgia but also yeah. i'm like i've decided i'm at like a point in my life now where like i just like everything is so shitty all the time that like friends and like i'm listening to andrew wk all the time because i just want like relentless positivity all the time yes yeah and i don't yeah it's great i'm actually it really has made a huge difference i hear (laughs) you when my daughter was born i was literally holding her in my arms and just watching star trek the next generation because i just had so much hope for the future and i'm like that's what i want in this like that's what i want in this moment and you know i mean it was also 2017 and you know a lot of other bad stuff was happening so it was like a nice (laughs) A nice time to look and hope that the future was be very positive and bright and you know lots of our issues and problems would be solved at that point so yeah, yeah. i get it man How and thankfully five years later they are uh, uh, was it 2300 or 2400 something like that 23 i believe okay <laughs> but we we're all... coming up on zephram cochran and first contact sooner than later oh okay may we all live to be in star trek universe we all the time we're talking about existing in star trek universe and Mm -hmm. like anytime something big happens we're like is this getting us closer to star trek universe or no (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the answer is generally no but i want to live there true we want to be same yeah yeah as as would i that'd be wonderful (laughs) have all needs taken care of so your life can just be uh you exploring and you know finding yourself and doing what makes you happy whether that's joining starfleet or doing something else that sounds like a blast yeah Yeah, for sure plus holodecks and holodecks Holodecks. and 
matter rem- matter rematerializers is that what they're called mm-hmm. or yeah. okay all right yeah <laughs> it's been a little bit since i've watched this show so always uh, worth a rewatch <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely uh okay well that's what we've been uh enjoying so now it's time to get into the draft uh we are drafting final girls uh, appropriately with the two wonderful hosts of the attack of the final girls podcast (laughs) um we have rolled our four-sided die uh i will be going first nick will be going second and then julia and Teresa, who are drafting as a pair uh will be going third but anyone who has listened to an episode of our show knows that means they get to do the back-to-back picks because they get the first pick of the second round okay so with that in mind Let's get into the draft. Round number one, I have the first choice. I know you two uh, love Scream. As you mentioned before, Scream is also my favorite horror franchise. Uh, And there is no other final girl that I could take with the number one pick than Miss Sidney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell in the Scream franchise. Um, I think I talked about her a little bit before on our Horror Heroes podcast, um, the thing that I always identified with Sydney was that she was always just so proactive. She was always fighting. There was very little running and hiding. Not that that's a bad thing. Sometimes you need to, but she was always doing her best to fight back. And she time and time again, takes out Ghostface, whoever is <laughs> embodying that <laughs> killer in each movie. Um, and, uh, I love the progression of her character throughout the series. I've, mentioned my slight qualms with her character in the second film which seems very much like this 180 flip from the first film and a little odd that she's like an actress now and so outgoing after you know multiple issues and you know i mean multiple deaths and and multiple different occurrences of it um but i love it i mean i'm not the biggest fan of scream 3 but i think the best part of that movie is sydney's character and her kind of getting that closure in that film um that really kind of i think wraps up like her story and progression as a character and 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 you know her coming to terms with the trauma that she's facing and um her ability to kind of work her way through that you know process that trauma um and i i've loved her character as she's come back in four and five as well um so it's nice that we've gotten this beautiful arc to her story and that she's gotten to come back and really revitalize that character in some of the newer franchises um and that's all i'm gonna say i'm gonna stop talking about her because i'm sure our two guests will have much more (laughs) (laughs) uh, competent things to say about sydney prescott (laughs) No, I love that's exactly right. Her character arc is one of the most fascinating final girl character arcs um, and arguably one of the longest runs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, first four screen movies, such a huge arc there. Um, Really strong uh, character and she's so tough and so she's both vulnerable at moments and emotional and you deal with that kind of family dynamic but also she's a total badass and she evolves that badassery as time goes on and she gets more savvy and smart and cunning and brave as time goes on and it's it's really it's kind of like a flower blooming and she's just great (laughs) 
It's also really cool. Um, given my age, I feel like I grew up with Sydney Prescott, mm. like seeing the first Scream movie when I was in middle school and sort of like having this cool teenager, like badass final girl who was not, you know, and all respect to all of the women from the late 70s and early 80s, but who was not from a bygone era who was my contemporary, essentially, and then getting to grow along with her and watch her go to college and change and evolve. And even when she comes back in Scream 5, you know, we know she is now married and a parent and in, you know, a different phase of her life. And mm -hmm. as a as a woman horror fan, getting to have somebody like that that you get to go on that journey with is really, really cool. Um, and it's something that I think for people our age, um, we don't take that for granted, having that longevity with a character and getting to see different phases of her life reflected back to us. Yeah. Very well said. Nick, what do you got on Sydney? Um, she's cool. I think you guys covered it. <laughs> she's a pretty cool character. No, I mean, I, yeah, you, you've said everything that I think, and, and we've, you know, I think we talked a little bit about Sydney maybe during our Scream episode. So, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, great choice. I kind of figured she'd go quick. Yeah. All right. Well, Nick, uh, that means you're up with the second pick of the first round. All right. Here we go. Well, you know what? I'm going to preface this by saying this was a struggle. Um, part of it might have been just psychological because I was, like, the host of the Final Girls podcast, our, our guests. <laughs> so there's, like, extra pressure in this category. But really, I... You know, I don't know. I think what it was was that I was looking up. I was trying to define Final Girl before mm. making, like, just my own set of criteria here. Um, and I know people have, like, various definitions. And there's, like, the original mention of it in um, Carol Clover's book. Um, and, you know, like, I, I didn't... It was tough. And, like, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I did have a set of criteria. And I did not have enough people who fit it to, like, have a list big enough for this... <laughs> podcast so i wound up stretching it a little bit but i you know at the end of the day i think my criteria went back to the the idea that like i i tried to stick close to slashers sorry not to give away my my choices i, I think i have some surprises in there um and um you know the the, the idea of like the what carol writes about um the in her book uh gender in the modern horror film it's um you know the idea that male audiences wouldn't be able to identify with a hero who was male, who was a victim the whole time, who was weak in the beginning and then eventually, like, you know. And so making the, um, you know, the hero of the story, a, a girl, a woman, and, and having it, which is actually really problematic in some ways. And when you really talk about it, like that's, but, um, at the same time, I like I understand, and then at, by the end, you know the idea that she like has to find some phallic object to destroy the monster with. So I didn't, I wasn't that narrow, but my first choice does kind of play off of that, and because I figured it would be chosen quickly, I'm gonna go with Ellen Ripley um, from Alien. Um, you know, it's not really a horror series, but I would argue that the first one is indeed a horror movie. Um, and she's unique, you know, I think you find a lot of lists with her on it for Final Girls, and she is, obviously she becomes quite a badass, and she really is from the start, but she's kind of an anti-Final Girl. I mean, she's, it's weirdly, like, overtly sexual, that movie. It's not what, you know, like, she, 
the end of the movie is her stripped down to her underwear, like sending a slimy erection out into space. Um, sorry to be, you know, but that's what it is. Like, that's literally how it ends. And then, and then unlike a lot of final girls who, if they survive the first film, like maybe they're written into the second one and killed off really quickly because like, where do you go? You, you can't just make that final girl once she's become a badass, um, really vulnerable again. Like that would just be undoing everything you've done with that character. But Ripley comes back again and again, and she's just a badass every time after the first movie. So I think it's weird. She's like the prototypical final girl. And she's also like an anti-final girl. She's an interesting choice so and i figured she might get swept up first so that's my initial pick great choice uh thanks i'm gonna let our guests jump in yeah uh that was definitely like my next pick um i love ripley she's incredibly strong and the her arc in the story doesn't really have anything to do with who she is in regards to a relationship or a man Um, Which we see that a lot in a lot of slashers or in a lot of horror movies where the final girl is kind of a reflection of who she is in terms of being in a relationship like Sydney is in the first Scream movie. Um, But Ripley is kind of her own person. She's driven. She's intelligent. She holds her own. She doesn't need any help. Um, She doesn't need a man. (laughs) Because she has a alien queen to deal with. So, um, <laughs> I, and I love that. I love that too, that her story is explored in such different ways from alien to aliens to resurrection. Um, and I do also think it's worth mentioning that the original Alien 3 screenplay was made into a brief comic series, which I actually enjoyed much more than Resurrection. Although Resurrection mm. isn't a bad film. I just enjoyed that Alien 3 treatment better. Um, Ripley gets a very, very, very cool send-off. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah. Definitely. Oh. Yeah. And I think the cool thing about Ripley is, you know, the fact that she does... I think so often when we talk about Final Girls now, people that are a little outside of the genre tend to have a very specific picture in their mind of, you know, a busty blonde running up the stairs in short shorts and a ripped shirt and whatever. And, you know, we of the genre know that that is sure one portrayal of a final girl, but I love that Ripley defies sort of femme expectations, both in appearance and in what she does in that movie. And yet she is such a feminist icon. You know, she's so wonderful and she really gives us somebody to look up to um, who <laughs> defies the stereotypes. Even if she is shooting slimy dick-shaped objects yeah. in space. <laughs> sometimes um, you gotta. Sometimes you have to. And I think, right. too, that's a that might be a function of Geiger, which, cool oh, design. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But oh, Geiger yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> All right, excellent pick, Nick. Uh, Julia and Teresa, you are on the board with your first pick of the draft. Okay, our first pick is <clears throat> one that is special to us because in a certain way, she's kind of responsible for our whole podcast, um, though we didn't know it at the time, uh, which is our May Queen, Danny from Midsummer. Oh, nice pick. 
Yeah, we, uh, so first time we watched this movie, Midsummer, um, we liked Ari Aster. We loved Hereditary. First time we watched it, we were like, this movie sucks. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) like it, I totally full disclosure. Like we, we did not like it. We both exited the theater and we were like, what the hell did we just watch? And then during the pandemic in May of 2020, I rewatched the film and I was like, listen, Juliet, you have to rewatch this movie. It hits so much differently now. And she's like, you're full of crap, but okay, I will do it. <laughs> I trust you. And and this was before we had the idea for our horror podcast, before we started, before we got anything together. So she rewatches it and she's like, oh my God, you're so right. And we actually had this whole idea for a travel podcast, which didn't happen, obviously, pandemic and lockdown, all that stuff. And then we're, we talked about horror movies like almost every single day. And we were like, why don't we just make a horror podcast? We talk about this all the time. <laughs> so that was one of the ones that we wanted to focus on first is like this kind of genesis of watching this movie the first time, having these expectations, and then going back and rewatching it and, you know, having it, having it hit totally differently. And Danny is kind of like the iconic final girl for us. Uh, somebody who has gone through a bunch of garbage, which kind of mirrors our own personal <laughs> kind of character arcs, I guess you could say, in the past few years. Yeah. And then coming out on top, e- mm-hmm. even if that's not in a way that she expected or even really enjoyed. Like, parts of it I think she enjoyed, parts of her enjoy the kind of genesis of her character. But, uh, yeah, it's not all good. It's not all happy. She comes out kind of covered in gore, as it were. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the threats to Danny are both external and internal. And mm-hmm. I really love that about her as a character, that it's not just, you know, the person stalking her with a knife or the serial killer or whatever. So much of the danger comes from her own experience and her own fragility, which is so true to life for so many of us, you know. Thankfully, most of us, you know, will not have a final girl experience as portrayed in most of these movies. I mean, I would love to make it to space and shoot down, you know, phallic creatures, just saying. Um, But, you know, as Teresa said, you know, we have both experienced things not exactly like in Midsummer, but, you know, real life trauma that we've had to battle through and survive through. So to see Danny sort of taking on two different foes in that movie and coming out triumphant in a really, really unexpected way and learning kind of who her allies are and who her villains are and have that be not expected. She's just such an icon for us. Excellent. That's a great pick. I think Danny is phenomenal. Similar to you two, it was a movie that when I watched in the theater, I thought it was all right. And then, you know, but that it kind of maybe paled a little bit to Hereditary, Ari Aster's first film. But upon rewatches and just um, over time has really grown on me. And I really, really love the Danny character. Um, and I think she's a big part of why it has grown on me over time. So just echoing essentially what you have saying and <laughs> without being able to add anything more <laughs> you know, to it. I, I fully agree, basically. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on Danny? 
so I haven't seen the movie since it first came out, and I don't. I think you guys just maybe want to see it again and revisit that. Um, Hereditary is a masterpiece. Like I loved it so much, and I feel like expectations going into Midsummer were sky high, and so like yeah, I, I owe it another chance before I can speak speak to it again. Quite honestly, okay. but um, yeah, you've sold me on it again, all over again. I'm excited. Yeah, nice. it's, it's such a strange experience to watch a movie the first time and really be like totally against it and then give it another chance which the other part of that is the director's cut the extended version was on prime there for a while so we rewatched we rewatched it by virtue of that and then thinking like wow this really hits totally differently and in a Mm. way that I, i just really not expect to watch a movie the first time and really not like it and then the second time be like Oh my god, this was life changing. <laughs> I think Midsummer actually benefits from knowing what's going to happen before you watch it. Like oh. part of the reason I didn't like it the first time is I got so caught up in my own feelings about the shock of the beginning that I couldn't engage with the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Um and by that point the rest of the film just kind of felt like a caricature. But knowing how it ended and knowing what happened when I watched it again, knowing what I was looking for, knowing what it was going to lead up to, made for a much better, much more engaging watch. And that trauma of the beginning didn't hit me as hard because I could prepare myself for it. Interesting. It, you know, as you say that, it almost makes me feel like Ari Aster kind of calls that exact same shot in the movie when you pan across that textile that they have that essentially tells you what's going to happen in the movie. Yeah. You know, in images. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, and I fully agree. Yeah, knowing exactly what's going to happen does kind of um, make for a better viewing experience. Because that level of just uneasiness and dread that you're feeling the first time. And, you know, knowing everything's going to be okay with Danny and knowing, you know, what is to come of her character uh, is really beneficial. So, excellent choice. Um. We're in round two now, everybody. But Julia and Teresa, they've got the back-to-back. They're going first in the second round. Oh, my gosh. What All right. I, I didn't prepare. I haven't prepared. And I'm just Take your ahead. time. No worries. <laughs> I've prepared. Let's do this one. Okay. Okay. So first pick, second round. We're going to go with Needy from Jennifer's Body from 2009. Oh. Um. Jennifer's body for so I was 19 when this movie came out didn't see it initially when it came out in the theater because I thought it was going to be exactly like John Tucker must die Mm. um it I feel like the marketing around it really did not um the movie didn't benefit from the way that the marketing kind of exploited uh Megan Fox Megan Fox yeah who was coming hot off the tail of Transformers which she's only in because she's the hot girl who likes cars and you know so I didn't I didn't see the movie until I was like well into adulthood and then I'm watching it and it kind of had this renaissance couple of, like 2 years ago mm-hmm. where people were like oh my god it's a feminist movie it's iconic and I'm like okay so I watch it and I'm like oh my god though it is <laughs> um and needy is an incredible final girl we don't often see a friendship struggle um in horror films or like you know deadly kind of stakes between friends between best friends especially through that transformation that is puberty and being sexualized and getting ready to enter into the world or into college or whatever from high school 
Um, we don't really see that explored, I, I don't think, as much as it deserves, at least that kind of interaction between friends. So Needy is the perfect final girl. She's struggling with somebody who knows her to her core, or at least thinks she knows her to her core, and having to overcome both friendship and, you know, the perils and pitfalls of high school. And she emerges bloody and triumphant, which we love. We love a bloody and triumphant <laughs> final girl. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I also love that Needy at her core, though she emerges transformed, isn't transformed in a way we often see with teen movies, which is the nerdy girl takes off her glasses Mm. and becomes more like her hot counterpart. I'm using air quotes there. Um, Needy is essentially needy by the end of the film, just way more badass because she's seen some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Great pick. Excellent choice. I, I kind of hope this is one I could pick up in the third or fourth round, but you've you've snaked it away <laughs> here in the second round. It's a, a, a excellent pick. Um, I never, I didn't see Jennifer's Body in the theater, but I saw it when it first came to home video. Uh, was it two thousand nine? The movie came out. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. Okay. So whether it was oh nine or twenty ten when the DVD came out, and I remember like loving it from the jump, and I remember like telling, you know, people where I was working at. Um, I was working in television at the time and, and telling them about it and how great it was. And nobody wanted to listen, it seemed like, who I told them about it. So I have loved, loved seeing the, well, love that the movie has been getting um, in the past few years. And this um, entire, you know, um, re what do they call it? The um, reappraisal, you know, that the film has gotten because it absolutely is awesome. And Needy is a great character. I think, I like you kind of mentioned her. Not only is her transformation not like you know, pull it off and look how hot I am. It's it is is almost devoid of male um, interaction because it's based on a friendship and of, of a, 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 a friend who's a girl as well, one of her her best friends. Like that transformation doesn't come through the relationship season with a guy through, you know, a killer who is a guy who is stalking her like so many other slashers. It really is this entire kind of flip on um, the final girl in that sense. So great choice. I'm just jealous. You, you got needy. <laughs> um, Nick, have you seen Jennifer's body? I actually have not. No, I was just going to say oh. it's a big gap there. It's good. It's What's really good. The, uh, I can't think of the screenwriter's name, and it's driving me crazy. Diablo Cody. Thank oh, yeah. you. Yes, yep. and I think, and I don't know if this was part of it, but I think it was not long after that that she got attached to the Evil Dead remake. And I think at that time, I was just so bitter they were doing an Evil Dead remake at all that I like, wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, um, I see. Fair. Okay. But I mean, obviously, she's an, she's really talented, and, and like, yes, like mm-hmm. I, in the last few years, I've noticed I'm reading more and more about Jennifer's body all of a sudden, and it was weird that it suddenly have this so yeah i'll have to check it out yeah and and like julia and Teresa mentioned it was just the marketing all just tried to appeal to young guys and put um jennifer uh, uh fox in it oh my gosh megan fox megan fox, <laughs> megan fox. this happens every episode where it's like i draw a blank in my mind as i'm saying something and then i know i mess up ah uh, yeah 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 so, yes okay. the marketing was horrible <laughs> Marketing was horrible, but for a really great film, and it's been, I think, spoken of ad nauseum. I think even Karen Kusama's come out and talked about it now, and that you know, now that it's in the past, and you're not going to get in trouble. Just how, how kind of heartbreaking it was to see, like you know, something like this that you've worked on just be 
reduced to that in the marketing and it's just so disappointing um yeah, I was pick. reading um, Diablo Cody saying that basically the marketing was geared toward the exact people the film wasn't for yes. and <laughs> turned off the exact people that the film was for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a aptly put, Ms. Cody. Um, I just said Ms. and I'm realizing if Ms. or whatever. <laughs> really stepping in it this round, this pick. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, let's move on. Um, Nick, you are up with the second pick in the second round. Yeah. Um, let's see. It's between two. Um, these are both going to get scooped up. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with um, Sally Hardesty from the original Texas Chainsaw. Um, okay. A because I think she's you know she's an early example, like really early, and she predates Halloween and all that you know, and and it's interesting to see. But mostly because um, again, she doesn't really fall into, I mean, she's a victim the whole time. She's running the whole time. She doesn't grab the chainsaw and end Leatherface. She barely escapes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's, just, it's by virtue of her being just different. I think again, I'm gonna go with that choice not my favorite movie on here um but a cool character and like yeah a good early example yeah absolutely and i mean a, a great performance i mean when she's in that truck bed yeah. at the end of the movie you just see yeah the relief but the trauma just like washing over i mean it is it is heart-wrenching you know that performance there in the finale of the film um she's phenomenal um juliet teresa anything to say about sally hardesty I mean, Sally is an icon, and you're right. Mm. She is such an early example and really kind of set the bar for those who would follow. You know, you can kind of trace that through line from Sally to Laurie Strode to Nancy Thompson, you know, and on down the line. And so much of that is because of the performance. You know, with with that powerful, powerful performance, she really set our expectations of what we should be seeing and feeling along with our final girl. Yeah, to be honest, not a huge Texas Chainsaw fan. Um, that is a movie that I did not see until very recently for the very first mm. time. Um, just kind of a gap in what I had watched when I was a kid and what I grew up with. Um, and I appreciate her performance so much. I just hate Leatherface as a villain, um, just in general. Um, I love Toby Hooper. I love all of his other stuff. I just don't like that one movie. But, um, Sally is the, OG, I mean, arguably she's an OG final girl, you know, she's the first one to come, come through transformed, um, not unscathed, literally covered in blood in the back of a truck bed. So, um, I appreciate her for um, the path that she forged for all the rest of us. Um, just don't like the movie. That's all. <laughs> I'm. I honestly, I could fill a whole episode with my feelings on that series. Um, <laughs> I, it's fair. always. I. I really. I mean, it's fine. The first one is really effective, but and you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of enemies here, but I'm always stunned. Like every time a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie comes out, the vitriol like reactions of fans online like when the new one came out and, I'm, and I, I watched the new one and I was like this series doesn't have a great track record like 
it's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it, like, did not strive to be anything beyond that. And I was like, I had fun, you know? And that was it. It was the most forgettable movie of the last year, but I enjoyed yeah. it while I watched mm-hmm. it. Like, what are your expectations? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we felt the exact same way. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is getting panned. And, of course, we're part of a huge horror community that has all the opinions. And mm, yeah. Although we talk about our opinions a lot, we really kind of go with the flow and we're very accepting of other people's opinions. So I I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch it because everybody's crapping on it, but let's, let's watch it. And I'm like, this is exactly what it advertised. It's a massacre. It's in Texas. There are chainsaws. There's a leather face. There's a final girl. Like what, what more did you want? (laughs) It has massacre in the name. It was a massacre. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. I know everybody was like, it's woke. It's whatever, whatever. And she watched it too. And we were like, it's fine. Yeah. It's okay. I know some of the people involved in that film. So I have to be Ooh. like, oh, yeah. what I say. But Fair. yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. But it was always... exactly what it advertised, you know? And it, and it was, you know, it was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. <laughs> and especially when you look at the sequels, like, Okay, the first one was kind of its own, it was its own singular thing, I think, because of when it came out and stylistically it was so different than everything else. But the stuff that followed is, some of it is quite hilarious. You know, some of the other installments in the series that I like the most are not because they're high horror, you know, it's because they're goofy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good, it's it's actually very interesting that we all share similar thoughts on the first chainsaw. I think I think it's you know like Nick said, it's as advertised and that's great and it's it's never been super high up on my horror list. Um, so I'm in complete agreement with with all of you. I actually have not seen that new one though. Um, that one that came to Netflix, so I, I can't comment on on that one. Um, okay, now you I'm are up. Yeah. In the second round, the uh, the final pick of the second round, um, and this is interesting because if you told me coming into this draft a certain person wouldn't be picked within the first two rounds, I just said, "Wow, <laughs> that's very surprising." Actually, very surprising to me, and um, and she's not going to be picked in the first two rounds because <laughs> I'm going to pick Nancy Thompson, played by Heather Langenkamp in the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, Outside after Sydney, um, Nancy's probably my next favorite final girl. Period. So I, I'm very excited and happy with how this first two rounds have gone because I've gotten my 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 two favorites. Um, just oh boy, I mean, just the in the first film alone, she is um, she's still kind of stuck within the tropes of many other final girls, but she is so smart. And so creative and so kind of think outside the box when everyone else is sort of like at their wits end or not believing her or you name it, right? And she's the one who figures out, you know, in so many other horror movies that don't have that supernatural element, it's just, it's just fighting back with the killer and, you know, it's much more straightforward. But in this, she has to figure out like, well, how can I actually even get to that point, you know? And so she has to think and... and and be brave enough to go into the dream world to grab him and then trust that someone else is going to wake her up so she can pull him into the real world. And that alone is just like, 
if I was being taunted by a murderer in my dreams, I never in a million years would think to pull them into the real world. Um, and it's just so brilliant. And then the progression of her character uh, is great. I love that she comes back in three in this sort of quasi-parental figure to the dream warriors i think that's brilliant like what a good way to go like with the character not just rehashing what she'd done in the first film or anything like that giving her this like whole new sort of role to play even though obviously it's still nancy um and then you know new nightmare nick i know you love new nightmare it's like one of your probably your favorite of the nightmare franchise i think i did and I love... voted my favorite yeah yeah you voted your favorite um and in that, it's, you know, she's playing herself, Heather Langenkamp, and it's a, this sort of meta commentary. She's, it's a really cool, like, three film arc where she's gotten to take on these different roles and these different sort of, you know, uh, ways to come at this character. And so, uh, anyway, I, I think it's like, and maybe, maybe New Nightmare shouldn't really count because she's playing Heather Langenkamp the whole time and not really Nancy, but it's hard for me to kind of separate New Nightmare from one and three and, you know, and just from Heather from that role, basically. But anyway, that's enough of me yammering. I, I got to hear, Juliet, Teresa, what are your thoughts on Nancy Thompson? I'm biased because Heather Langenkamp is such a sweet human being in real life. She truly mm-hmm. is. She's just such a sweet baby angel. Mm-hmm. And so, but to, to speak on Nancy specifically, um, I love Nancy. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Just the entire, literally all of it, even the worst parts of it are just absolutely fantastic. I especially like New Nightmare. We've said before, we think Wes Craven is a genius. Um, mm-hmm. Without him, we wouldn't have Scream. We wouldn't have like so many amazing horror uh, monsters and villains and final girls. So I just think that they're smart and they uh, busted up the tropes. You know, the, uh, the, the big, strong, muscly football player ends up getting eaten in a huge wash of blood. And that's amazing. <laughs> And also a character, um, especially in the first one, that sorts, sort of rejects sexualization, although Freddy is sort of like an inherently sexual uh, villain, whether or not you want to go with the whole like pedophile, not pedophile thing. Mm. Um, he is inherently sexual, inherently in people's dreams and messing with like those parts of us that are darkest and, and deepest buried. And Nancy is like, rejecting that and and trying to maintain her innocence but at the same time learning and growing and becoming the badass that she always was inside and like showing uh other folks like in dream warriors hey you can also make it through this you are strong enough you have all of the tools at your disposal just all you need to do is stay strong and then a new nightmare where she's like playing this sort of like quasi like in reality out of reality version of herself love them all i think nancy thompson slash heather langenkamp in a bubble amazing all the way through the thing i love about nancy is that in order to survive she has to go beyond just you know instinctual run hide dodge fight back there has to be strategy there. There has to be 
planning and thinking um, to defeat a villain like Freddy Krueger, who, you know, is, as you say, supernatural, who exists in the darkest parts of our dreams and our consciousness. So she, again, is one of those final girls that, although she's not the first, she's, you know, a really big touchstone in the kind of lineage of final girls, to my mind, because she sort of shows us oh, a final girl can be more than the girl who can run the fastest and find the best hiding spot. Um, she's the girl who can literally outsmart our mm -hmm. villain. Um, and we see that then manifesting in people like Sidney Prescott and others as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nick, Anything to add to Nancy before we move on to the next pick? Not really. I will say that um, my third round pick was going to be Heather Langenkamp, specifically Heather Langenkamp oh, in New Nightmare, um, gotcha. which it won't be anymore. But I just think that, um, you know, to, to add on to the Wes Craven being a genius thing is like you have a character who has now been in two movies in the franchise, which itself as a final girl is rare. She was reinvented once as like the mother figure. How do you reinvent her again to like actually work her into a third film? Well, she just have the actress play herself and then everything is reset again. Like she can be all of those things that she was in nightmare one, but she is a different person. So I think, um, yeah, that would have been my third round choice, but I, I'm glad that you kind of covered all three. It just works. It's cleaner that way. So great choice. Thank you. Um, all right. Now this is the, Moving into the third round, I have the back-to-back. -back. I have to go first again in the third round. And I actually feel like I need to to go to our commissioners with this next pick. I, I didn't wow. think the commissioners would need to get too involved with this, but I, I do wonder if they believe this next character is a quote-unquote final girl or not. And that is Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. Wow. And I say this because... Is she ever officially in danger? Well, from... I, well, I mean, obviously she is at the end. But I, I, I guess I mean from her main foe in the film, Hannibal Lecter. But I, I leave it to the commissioners to, to decide if Clarice Starling counts as a final girl or not. So I had this on our list as well. Um, oh. So I would say that I agree with it. However, Juliet and I developed the list collaboratively. So I will defer mm. to Juliet and make sure that she's also down with the pick. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'll allow it. Um, we can talk about why, but mm. yes, I will. I will allow it. She fits into the lineage, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, first off. Thank you, commissioners. I appreciate that. Clarice Starling then will be uh, the first pick of the third round here. Um, I mean, honestly, it's just, I, I, what more do you say about uh, the movie that hasn't already been said? I mean, it's just, I mean, as a film itself, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, you watch it now and you see these like kind of fourth wall breaking like shots where people almost are like looking at you and you're just so put in her position in the film right she's such an outcast as one of the very few women at the fbi she's being used essentially because she's a woman because they know that you know she'll be hopefully be able to get more information rather than sending in one of the other male fbi agents right i mean it's it's so much of that film comes down to gender and gender politics and I mean everything and, and and Demi does a fantastic job making you feel that in the movie but you also 
see just how not inte- not just intelligent like um like a Nancy Thompson but just so thoughtful Clarice is you know when when there's that scene where they're looking at the woman who they've pulled from the water and you know everyone's got the little stuff under their nose and everything so it doesn't smell and and you know she's the one who's coming up with the information of like oh no you got to look at the nails you know if you know a woman would do xyz and not that you know like all these things that these men are just overlooking or just wouldn't know right because their their experience and lived experience as a man is just so different from clarice's as a woman and and the the victims are are, uh, you know and so she's just um i'm trying to trying to word it in a way that's more than just smart and thoughtful which she obviously is um but she's obviously put into danger at the very end and fights back against our killer in a very um uh difficult way i mean with the lights off and he has the uh the uh, night vision goggles and she doesn't um but she's just i mean every step of the way she's like so able to kind of pick at what Lecter's saying and all the little clues he's scattering out and these little cute ways that she's able to draw from him and uh ultimately hunting down buffalo bill and 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 succeeding so that's why clary starling is my third round choice juliet Teresa, take it away um so Clarice starling was probably one of my earliest heroes um i watched silence of the lambs way too young just far too young to be understanding what was going on um it was one of my mom's favorites so Mm -hmm. i watched it very early on actually uh i have a degree in forensic toxicology and i owe that to clarice starling for inspiring me to do that um i don't use that degree but (laughs) that's 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 still awesome yeah (laughs) um so i i fully agree that she's a final girl um, I am so, always so impressed with uh, Jodie Foster's depiction of her as being sort of quiet, mousy, professional, um, and trying to navigate uh, being a small femme-presenting person in a world that is dominated by loud, boisterous men, and then having to go toe-to-toe with literally the smartest person I can think of as an evil villain, Hannibal Lecter, and coming out on top, both she lives, but she also outsmarts and understands Hannibal, who is able to kind of connive from her exactly the weakest parts of her psyche, but she resists him as no other person was able to do, um, especially as a newbie in the FBI. So love her. Absolutely appreciate that as a pick. Um, even though she's not directly in danger by Lecter, um, eventually in her progression and the other portrayals of her in Red Dragon and Hannibal and all that, she does eventually, you know, come into danger in front of Hannibal. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I love that character. I would actually argue that she is in danger from Hannibal. Girl, you're in danger. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, not physical harm, but, you mm. know, when we think about... Um, femme presenting people moving about the world and the risks that we accept every day and not just physical risks, but the emotional labor that we have to do as we move about the world. And when you see this young new agent being put in the position that she's in, even if she, her physical safety is guaranteed, what that does to a person to be asked to do 
an extremely hard task that you're probably going to fail and to have all eyes on you, that's a mm. dangerous position that she's able to overcome. Um, so to me, um, people argue, is Silence of the Lambs a horror film or not? I absolutely say it is, and I absolutely say Clarice is a final girl, because sometimes horror can be, yes, there is a serial killer, and yes, there is a cannibal, but what is the true horror? Is it the experience of this person who's being put in a nearly impossible position? I'm going to sum it up with a phrase that Juliet coined, which is, is it trauma or is it ghosts? And in this case, it's not ghosts, but it's sort of like a way to sum that up always. Is it trauma or is it ghosts? In this case is, is it the cannibal or is it fragile masculinity, toxic masculinity, you know? Um, Yeah. So I, I, and I absolutely see your point about the danger um, because even if she's not in danger directly from Hannibal, like what, what is she putting herself in or not necessarily what is she putting herself in, but what situation is she in where she is having to meet with the, one of the most deadly and cunning and intelligent serial killers that the FBI is aware of. And she's fresh out of the Academy, like literally still running in her FBI sweats, but yet she's the one that's put on this case kind of like you know, all the dudes are like, she's going to, it's definitely going to not go well for her. And it does though. And she's able to kind of excel even in spite of all of these, you know, other factors. And especially for being a movie that was done in the early nineties, pretty progressive and forward thinking. And even in the, in the making of the movie and the cinematography, it's very, very, very progressive. Um, So yeah. I'm I'm totally down. I love that movie so much. Yeah, me too. Same here. Yeah, it's wonderful. Nick, I know you're a big fan of Silence of the Lambs. I am. It's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, I have chosen it, obviously, on, on this mm-hmm. podcast several times um, for various categories. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I would not have thought... I'm, I'm not arguing at all. I Absolutely, A, you know I think it's a horror movie because I've chosen it yes. before. Um, we've had that conversation. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't have thought of her as a, as a final girl, I think, again, because I was thinking maybe too narrowly in terms of, like, you know, it, is she the one surviving person of, like, a group of people that she's... No, she's not. Um, you know, I mean, yes, she survives, of course, but, like, to your point, you know, she's not... She is in danger, but she's not until the very end, like, in danger at the hands of physically. Um, but also, it's interesting because, like, you know, that that movie in some ways has two villains. Um, you know, one is very likable, kind of. Um, uh, you know, which is weird. Um, I think in a lot of the final girls that you think of, um, you know, they're being stalked by someone or something. And I think in a lot of those cases like Jason or something, he, you know, he's like, he's just a brain dead monster or something who doesn't, who just, you know, but in a lot of other cases, it's a serial killer or, you know, a, a slasher who probably deems this person as less than, and like, uh, he thinks like, Oh, this is going to be no problem. And then part of the triumph of the final girl is that she overcomes his arrogance basically. Um, but Hannibal Lecter, um, like obviously you know, respects the hell out of her and like humors her, thinks she's like an equal, um, you know, he, 
the reason that their relationship continues past the first meeting is because he, you know, sees that in her. And that's like completely unique to her character, I think, at least yeah. thus far of what, you know, who we've talked about. So I think it's an awesome choice. I never would have thought of it, but. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, Nick, I'm just going to let you keep on going here because you've got the second pick of the third round here. I, I honestly thought this would be pick one of round one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad in a lot of ways that it, it is what we're in round three now or four i don't even remember this is like the very middle point of the draft yeah unbelievable that it didn't go sooner but i will i'll pick laurie strode um i almost didn't want to because she's like an obvious choice but um look she's such i think she's probably the first person a lot of people think of if you hear the term final girl you know for better or worse um i obviously jamie lee curtis is incredible i think the character is great um but listen, I think it's just, it's as simple as this. She's such a good final girl that they have brought her back in seven movies through like three different timelines. <laughs> like, how can we bring her back again? We'll just retcon everything and bring her back. And, you know, that's how good Jamie Lee Curtis is in that role. And uh, mm-hmm. that's all there is to say about that. I mean, she's, I think Halloween in, in a lot of ways is a prototypical slasher movie. Um, and she is the final girl. So. That's how good Academy Award winner Jamie Lee Curtis is. Oh, I see what you did there because it just happened. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And she specifically thanked her genre fans. uh, Yeah, that was cool. In her acceptance speech, which was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So I am very surprised Laurie Strode did not um, get picked yet either. But um, rather than me discuss it i'm of course gonna give it to our wonderful guests uh juliet and Teresa, to, to discuss laurie strode i mean she's another og final girl you know um all of the tropes that we kind of talked about like genre busting and things like that kind of were invented um by john carpenter in the first halloween movie you have uh the final girl who she's babysitting she's not participating in the lascivious activities of her friends she's not mm-hmm. drinking she's not having sex She's just merely trying to protect the children and she gets attacked for it anyways. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to try not to comment on the arc of the entirety of the Halloween movies, which I have many (laughs) feelings about. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But as a final girl, I think Laurie Strode, I actually even like Resurrection. I like H2O. I like that she's in them, you know, like, I know that everybody hates H2O and Resurrection. They're like, blah, 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 Halloween, whatever, whatever. Brantley and I love H2O. Well, sorry to speak for you, Brantley, but we talk about it a lot. No, no, we do. It's one of my favorites. We love it. Yeah. I love H2O as well. I just think it's like just a slice of early 2000s, late 90s cheese that is going to be so hard to ever capture that in a bottle. Um I mean, we could talk about Halloween 4 all day long, you know, whatever. But um, Laurie Strode, like, as a final girl, she's she's the one. She's it. She's the, she's the final girl. Um, and anytime I think of that term, final girl, I always think Laurie Strode, like, very first thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that she, you know, waited until the third round. But the other thing that Juliet and I like to do is, you know, defy the typical so you know laurie strode is definitely probably top three final girls but 
Mm -hmm. waited a little bit because we were like, let's talk about our final girls, you know. But Lori yeah. Strode, she's fantastic. She's resilient. Um, she she evolves as the series goes on. She's the final girl, and then she's the matriarch. She's the uh, the sister, the <laughs> the the hanger on. You know, Michael is always trying to find her, and she's just constantly having to resist and transform. And Josh Hartnett, you know, blah blah blah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, that's what I think of when I think final girl is Laurie Strode. Yeah. I think to both your and Nick's point, what is it about a final girl who endures through sequels, through different timelines, you know, <laughs> that every time she comes back, regardless of how the movie itself turns out, we're excited and we celebrate. Oh, Laurie Strode is back. I wonder what Laurie Strode is going to be doing. And I think regardless of what you think of the David Gordon Green Halloween trilogy, the sheer fact that people were open to and excited about revisiting a final girl who is an older woman, who mm -hmm. is a grandmother and is still a badass, could still kick some ass and people want to see her kick some ass is mm -hmm. so exciting to me. As I age, you know, so often, you know, obviously our young, beautiful girls are kind of, again, our archetypal final girls. But, you know, older women are so often erased from cinema. That's something Jamie Lee Curtis herself has spoken a lot about. So to get to see this character as an older woman and to see people so excited about her, that's a testament not just to a great actress, but to a great character that we care that much about her. And in spite of, you know, retconning an <laughs> yep. entire series, getting rid of six yeah. films worth of, you know, yeah. information and then starting over and people were still stoked about it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. As much as we heard, you know, pretty vocal complainers. I mean, that movie was like a blockbuster hit. So the 2018 mm -hmm. version of Halloween. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great pick. Cultural impact, number one, first round, certainly. Um, and I agree with everything you all have said. I, I think Lori is the prototypical kind of final girl. Um, I, I, I wish she kind of, um, there was a little more proactive nature in some of her um, uh, actions in the films against uh, Michael Myers. Um, you know, that she certainly does when she needs to at the end. Um, but there's certainly like that element of there's a lot of like hiding and running away and certainly you need to at times. Um, and, uh, it certainly works out <laughs> in the first film. And it's, it's tough to watch the second film for me. Cause I'm like, she's just laying in a bed the whole, so much of the movie, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, it feels like, um, such a waste for that character. Like, I just, I feel like there's so much more, like so much more agency she could be having that it just isn't there and it's really disappointing it's it's by far my biggest issue with the second um halloween film and and uh, i'm sort of glad sometimes it's been retconned out you know <laughs> in some of these versions a little bit um but anyway excellent pick nick um but we're going right back to julia and Teresa because they have the final pick of the third round all right i'm between these two so okay one of those two and then that one for our second pick i think okay Okay. Um, you have back to back. I'm just going to remind yeah. you. Yeah. 
All right. Since we just covered it. Let's do okay. it. All right. So our pick is going to be Selena from 28 Days Later, um, a movie we Ooh. just covered uh, on our podcast fairly recently. Um, Selena is a badass. She is one of the rare um, horror heroines of color. We, you know, our list has been by and large white women. And, you know, that's the way, unfortunately, things have been for a long time. And Selena is one of the one of the first black femme characters I can remember seeing on the big screen in the cinema, kicking some ass, fighting zombies, saving the male protagonist and caring for him over and over and over again. And really shepherding and caring for sometimes questionably which we talked about in our episode um <laughs> a younger woman who did not have a, a feminine role model at all yeah and something that's really fascinating about selena is that she does not change very much over the course of the movie um, she's a badass when we meet her and she's more badass by the time that we leave her at the end of the movie. Um, whether or not you're talking about the alternate ending or the real ending, she's badass all the way through. Um, she is the savior many times, even though she's not necessarily our main character, she's the savior of the main character over and over again. Um, she's just super cool. Um, when I first saw the movie, I was like, wow, how do I be that resourceful? How do I be that resilient? And we, we only know this about her based off of the actions that she takes in the movie itself. We don't get her backstory. We have no idea what happened to her. We don't know if she was like a survivalist or maybe she was an elementary school teacher. We have no idea. And it doesn't matter because all that matters is that she's just going to keep moving. She's just going to keep going throw another thousand zombies at her she'll carve her way through she'll protect the people that's with her but she's also not going to take any prisoners and she'll she'll kill somebody if they get bit so it doesn't matter how emotionally attached she is and i loved that is that she just keeps moving no matter what life throws at her or the undead throw at her she's going to keep going she's going to keep fighting and i love that great pick excellent choice it's been super long time since I've watched this movie. I've been due for a rewatch for ages. I saw this in the theaters when it first came out. I remember that at seventeen. Um, it's I loved it at the time, and I just I I need to rewatch it because it's been so long now. Nick, anything to add about Selena? No, I'm with you. I think the last time I saw that was actually one of our film courses, so like fifteen years ago. Oh now. wow! Um, yeah. So I have I have no memory. Uh, I'm sorry to say. Perfect right. time to revisit. Yeah. I, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I've never seen 28 Weeks Later either, so I really got to watch that one too. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's we love zombie movies. Yeah. 28 Days Later was such a game changer. Fast zombies. Yeah. Holy crap. Um, mm-hmm. 28 Weeks Later is okay, but it does okay. it pales in comparison to 28 Days Later. Yeah. yeah. That's We're how I feel about it. It's, you yeah. know, it falls into the sequel problem which is when you have a movie that is so game changing in a genre like how do you follow that up um in a way that 
honors the first one, but doesn't duplicate the magic of the first one, but does something new and innovative. Sometimes it works. Oftentimes you're always going to be disappointed. So that's kind of where it landed for me. Gotcha. All right. Well, I will go in with those expectations in mind. Um, Julia and Teresa, you are up again with the first pick of the fourth round. Oh, I totally spaced. I was like, I have a plan. And then I forgot. Um, no, I've got it. So I'm I'm actually a little surprised that she's waited this long. But fourth round, first pick, Kirsty from Hellraiser. Um, oh, nice. I absolutely love the Hellraiser journey. I think... Kirsty is special because while she is a final girl at her heart in the first movie, she ends up making bargains that uh, cause other people to die in more than one movie, in more than one sequel, um, which is rare. I call it the Cisco thing, uh, like Cis- like Captain Cisco. Captain Cisco mm. knows when somebody's got to die to save the universe, then he's going to send him to die. And Kirsty does the same thing to save herself, to save the world, to save uh, whoever it is that she's with, her boyfriend, her family, uh, her life in spite of her husband. You know, she knows when she needs to make a sacrifice or who needs to be sacrificed, um, which I think is kind of a rare rarity is to be like rooting for somebody to throw somebody to a interdimensional demon so yeah but i i root for kirsty myself personally um and we've kind of revisited the hellraiser movies recently um because of the 2022 uh release of the the new hulu hellraiser movie we went back and revisited the first one and i'm like man i i can't remember another time when i've been like yeah, final girl, go ahead and throw your evil stepmom to the interdimensional demons um, that are brutally terrifying and scary. Um, never want to see the inside of Clive Barker's head, personally. So. <laughs> I love Kirsty, But it's also like, I love that Kirsty makes the sacrifices that she has to and isn't remorseful when she doesn't need to be you know sometimes we Mm. see our final girl or our we'll call her our penultimate girl um having to make a really hard choice um sometimes to like sacrifice somebody horrible and she's really torn up about it and Kirsty's kind of unrepentant like no this person sucks and i need to sacrifice them to save the universe and it's (laughs) it's fine ultimately and i like that about her (laughs) Nice. Excellent choice. Um, it has been actually a very long time since I've seen the first Hellraiser. I kind of wanted to revisit them when the new one had come out, and I just I didn't have time at the time. So it's actually been a little bit. I remember really uh, loving her character at the time, but she was kind of really far down on my list just because it had been so long, and I didn't feel like I could adequately speak to her as a character, basically. So I am going to graciously pass it on to nick if you would like to add anything about kirsty um well i've talked about hellraiser on this show too um and um how i was not a fan uh at all the first time i saw that movie in high school and it was only upon revisiting it um maybe like two years ago or, or during the pandemic even i think right in 2020 um that i was like i have no idea what i was thinking in high school like i i it's not my favorite movie by 
any stretch. But having seen one and two like back to back at that time, um, I was like, I'm gonna. You know, I'm sitting in front of the Scarlet Box set, uh, you know, that Arrow set that they put out, and I ordered it because you know. I watched the first two movies in 2020, and I think I re- was able to recognize that Kirstie is such a good character that she makes, um, you know, I mean, some there's a lot to like in those movies, and there's plenty to dislike as well. Um, she's a constant. She's just one really positive part of the first two films. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't have much more to add. Um, oh, and she's in... Am I mistaken that she comes back in like Hellseeker or one of the yeah. DVD straight to? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that one. So is it worth? I mean, I know it's not worth seeing, but is it? Um, I would say you know, for the character. That, yeah. Like I actually have found something to enjoy in those. Um, I wouldn't watch Resurrection. I think. No. no, no, no. Is it Judgment? Is that the one with with the? Oh, yeah. I think that was right. like the 2019 mm-hmm. one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So up till then, don't watch Judgment. That one's not good. Um, But up till then, like even the straight to video ones, when Kirstie comes back, I actually found um, that it was fine. Does it live up to that like OG Hellraiser, you know, thing? No. But Doug Bradley does come back and Mm -hmm. that's something to appreciate. Um, He's great. Yeah. And I I honestly really liked that they changed up... um, kind of like the way that the Cenobites work in some of those later movies where it's like, is this part of the same universe? Is this something totally separate? Are the Cenobites evolving? Are we looking at something totally different? Is this the same Kirsty? Is this different Kirsty? Is this parallel universe Kirsty? I actually love those questions. Um, but I honestly, I like to watch movies kind of in a vacuum. So I, I try to judge them based off of how I feel about them right now versus the totality of a series. Um, I think they were doing some experimental stuff. It's all on HBO. So if you, if you have the time, I would say watch Hellseeker, watch, mm-hmm. um, Hellworld. I, I actually found that they were both really enjoyable. Oh, nice. All right. Mm-hmm. Was it, was it Bloodline that Kevin Yeager directed, but then he took an Alan Smithy Alan Smithy credit? credit. Four, that's that four, was, right? Yeah. And that's the one with Adam Scott in it, like an early yes. Adam Scott role? Yes. Okay. Yep. Is that one any good? Because, I mean, taking an Alan Smith, it usually, you know. Not a great sign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once again, it, it adds a lot to the overall story of the Cenobites and the development of the Lament configuration and sort of like all of that, um, which we don't otherwise get in the series at all. Uh, those mm-hmm. Adam Scott uh, scenes are super campy and very corny <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. in a way that you only get in a 90s film. So like imagine mm-hmm. soap opera interview with a vampire. That's pretty much the vibe mm-hmm. of those flashback scenes. Um, but uh, honestly, like you get a female Cenobite, you get kind of a introduction into how they're made. And I appreciated that part of it. Um, you don't really need it, but it was fun. All right. All right. I, I always feel bad for Kevin Yeager. I mean, he, an unbelievable like special effects guy, but like he was developing Sleepy Hollow and not just doing the effects, but like that he was going to direct the movie. And then it like gets taken away and given to Tim Burton. And then like the opportunity to direct comes around for this Hellraiser sequel. And then he has to take an Alan Smithy and has never directed yeah. another feature again. So I'm always like, oh, that's such a 
What a rough way to go. And dealing with the Weinsteins, too. I mean, just that alone, just like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's a little tangent. Anyway, uh, excellent pick uh, for the first one of the fourth round. Nick, you are back up with the second pick of the fourth round. Sure. I am going to go with, um, again, not, not the best movie on this list, but a solid one. I'm going to go with the character of Allison from a movie called A Lonely Place to Die. Um, which I maybe I don't know if you've seen it. It might be vetoed here. I I would say it's horror adjacent. It's like it's a thriller. Um, but there are a lot of horror elements. It kind of at the end starts bordering into slasher territory for sure. Um, but uh, you know, it's about a group of 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 hikers of athletes really. Um, so it's not unlike the descent in that way. And that you know, the final girl in this movie starts off as like a badass really um but what's interesting about her is that you know the the catalyst in in the plot is that they they these people find um in the middle of the wilderness they hear a voice underground and there's this girl who's been buried alive like an eight-year-old or nine-year-old girl um and she takes it upon herself to protect that girl and then the most of the movie is about her protecting this girl so um yeah i don't know it, it it's um First of all, it's a movie that I think is worth seeing. Um, it's it's not fantastic, but it's absolutely I've seen it a couple of times, so uh, it's it's for sure worth watching. It's a, definitely a thrilling movie. Um, and yeah, I think her performance. Uh, I think the actress's name is Melissa George. Um, uh, is great. That's a good performance. She's an it's an interesting character, and I like that dynamic of not just protecting herself, but having to protect. I guess maybe that doesn't make her a final girl. There's you know, but talking about it protecting a, a little girl so it doesn't you know she's still but it's a, it's a nice dynamic that there's like you know she's doing it for someone else too like she would sacrifice herself sooner than see that little girl die and that's kind of cool um so yeah Nick, movie worth did, watching when did this movie come out i i maybe either i'm just blanking on it or i, I have no memory of this movie i think it was like 2011 um 2011 okay. and i don't know that it was released theatrically like wide here um i think i first saw it streaming on netflix um okay but yeah it's good it's like you know it's an unheard of sort of kind of gem if you oh, like yeah. those kinds of thrillers it's really intense nice well, i'm gonna so. add to my list because i i hadn't seen it and had no memory of it uh julia and Teresa, were you familiar with the movie and, and allison not at no. all <laughs> yeah this is one oh, okay. i i want to see it now based on your description and i'm sorry maybe i'm in the minority here but anything that involves hiking is horrifying to me so it counts <laughs> oh. as horror <laughs> excellent yeah i know oh they could have made a i mean it was documentary about hiking i would have found terrifying too i yeah, just see. i don't i don't want to be doing that <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm sorry we don't have any more to add to that, Nick. No, don't you, be. You're sailing through here with that pick since none of us are familiar with the I movie. probably could have waited, but yeah. no. I'm, I see I'm running out of ideas here. I see. <laughs> Thank God we're almost in round five. Yes. Um, and, and with the final pick of the fourth round, uh, I am back up, and I'm going to get the back-to-back here with the final one of the fourth and the first of the fifth. But um, to round out the fourth round... Uh, I am going to take, sorry, I'm just looking at my list because I saw her name and now I am, where did I go? Uh, 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 
I'm gonna cut this out. Don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna seem nowhere near as 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 out of it here. Leave it in. This Where is good is stuff. It? This is what makes <laughs> it so real. Why I was listening to, to um, the misery episode of of your pod today, and I was like putting it on in the background, um, and I started to work, and then I was like, I can't work. There's no dead space. It's just like. To your point about you guys being so eloquent, I was like, I can't keep up with this podcast and do anything else. Like, I have to be focused 100%. But that's, we've, that's we've got a lot of pauses. Magic. Is it? <laughs> that, no, that's all Juliet's editing magic. I'll be like, oh, I have to burp. Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's her editing magic. Although we do have a pretty good, like, back and forth. And then I'll be like, wait, I got to take a break. My dogs are barking or, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. It's yeah. seamless. I, yeah, you wouldn't know. Yeah, and I think it just proves that I'm a very lazy editor because I, rather than having to spend all the time cutting out so much of these pauses, I tend to <laughs> leave them in. I, I, I did find it on my list. I don't know why I was having such a hard time looking at it, but it is Maddie, played by Kate Siegel in the movie Hush. Speaking of oh. Mike Flanagan that we mentioned yeah. earlier in the podcast, yeah. Um, what a just awesome tight little horror movie and a, a great um a final girl i mean really only other character besides the killer almost almost pretty not much. quite but uh almost pretty much um and just what a like great concept you know a deaf woman alone in her home who has to defend herself by this from this intruder who has come in i mean it's brutal at times you know and it, but like just a excellent thrill ride and i love her as a character just absolutely kicking ass all the way through it um and it's you know i know it's a more recent one but i mean i feel like it's one that's really kind of you know gotten cemented itself a nice little spot considering like its budget and you know what it is for you know in terms of a horror film right within the genre and um it's one that i've revisited you know a couple times just because i think it's just so like like pitch perfect and well done so um that's my uh fourth round pick maddie from hush yeah she's fantastic um i love kate siegel just in pretty much anything that she's in mike flanagan or otherwise um but this this movie like the hits just keep coming and she just keeps taking them and and doling them out and um you're right it's it's a really tight film start to finish uh no no frills no extras but you have a very resilient person who's already at a disadvantage um using her home as like the place where she's supposed to be safe Mm -hmm. her home being invaded her personal space being invaded her safety being put at risk and then using her home and uh her disability to her advantage um and coming back and ultimately you know succeeding of course so um yeah love that i i totally agree she's fantastic yeah i love a movie where we get to spend almost singular time with our final girl um, Mm -hmm. and really just get to be with her, you know, in absence of the group of friends and this one getting picked off and that one getting picked off. Uh, When you get to spend that very, in this film, intimate time with somebody, that danger feels Mm -hmm. so immediate. So we're just with her every moment. And I love the character for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you put it great. Like I say tight, but like yeah, there's there's no fat on it because it's just her. It's her in her house like the whole time. You know, you see we see very little of that interaction with with others in the film. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Nick, anything to add on Maddie before I? No, not on the character. Own? I just I it's been a while, but like I just love economical films that are just like a single location yeah. with all the fat trimmed out. Um, yeah. If executed correctly, there's like nothing like it. And uh, yeah, it's a great example. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more, but uh, I'm going to move it along here because we're in the final round. This is the fifth round, folks. And with the first pick in the fifth round, I'm going to take Naru, played by Amber Midthunder, in Prey. Uh, easily my most recent film on this list, but I think, I mean, Nick, we talked about it in our Best of the Year episode. I think just, I mean, uh, a a role that just said this is a superstar like here she is world amber mid thunder because she just kills it and it is a film that um i think like really interestingly kind of gets at the fact of you know why uh, how final girls are different than like say a final guy right you know i don't think that we would see the predator walk past uh, too many other guys who are on the ground underneath them, not viewing them as a threat, and therefore thinking it's not a big deal to just like leave them there because it's not honorable or whatever way to kill them. But very specifically because it's the final girl and because women are so often um, not seen as that sort of a physical threat, um, she's basically left there by the predator in this specific scene that I'm thinking of, but just all throughout the entire film. I mean, she is just an incredibly well-written character, an incredibly well-performed character by Amber Midthunder, and she just kicks ass. And I loved this movie. Nick, we, we went on uh, the Five Day Rentals podcast to talk about this, and they usually watch the movie twice. You know, they watch it one time and then watch it a second time for notes, and I watched it a third time because I just loved the movie so much. <laughs> and I... I, I it was... Um, I think I said it was it was the only one of this only sequel that made my best of 2022 list. Uh, yeah. Nick, surprisingly to you, because Scream Five didn't quite make it, surprised. even though it was probably like number eleven on my list. Um, but I think Prey really also reinvented that franchise in a really interesting way, and I thought um, there's just so much to love about this film. So, uh, Juliet, Teresa, take it away. Um, this was also on our best of 2022 list. Um, yeah. Had you had a chance to watch it by the time we did our best of? No, I hadn't seen it when we had done our best of. I literally watched it like two days after we recorded okay. it. <laughs> I thought so because it was on my list, but it hadn't made it to Juliet's. I end up watching a lot more streaming and Juliet sees a lot more in the theater yeah. by virtue of working at home. I get to watch whatever I want. So, of course, uh, but (laughs) Predator, the first Predator movie is among my all time favorite action films. I love it as many problems as it has. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is hilarious, but also like (laughs) I just love the movie and I love the creature. Um, I love that like alien, you know, fish out of water type like situation ship, I guess. Um, and this, the, the prey kind of reformatting of that is the exact opposite of, it's like the yin to Arnold Schwarzenegger's yang. Like, like you have this like really macho badass dude covered in, you know, uh, camouflage and he's got a bazooka. You got Carl Weathers getting his arm blown off and 
Jesse the Body Ventura smoking a cigar and calling himself a sex machine or whatever. I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember yeah. what he says he is. But a sexual Tyrannosaurus. That's right. It, it's it'll turn you into a sexual Tyrannosaurus. Tom Savini is a sex machine. Yeah, that's right. I right. said sex machine. Whatever. It's fine. Sex something. Um, but Amber Midthunder is like all of the quiet and the thoughtful and the conniving that Arnie is not. <laughs> Arnie's like, shoot yeah. first, ask questions later. Amber Midthunder is... Um, stoic but she's also got something to prove and she's has her family and her people to protect and also her way of life because there's more than one bad guy in the movie um Mm -hmm. and i just thought she's just an absolute powerhouse i love that um it i feel like it revitalized the franchise in a way that uh, was completely unexpected for me um i kind of went in like I don't know how this is going to go. It's straight to streaming. This is on Hulu. I don't know what to expect, but Amber Mid Thunder, absolutely incredible. Just, she really just killed it. And I can't wait to see. I'm hoping that they expand upon this universe in sort of a similar way and maybe mm-hmm. not take it too far out of the time period that we're in in the movie because I just want to see her do more with the franchise. Um, yeah. But Naru is awesome she wants to prove herself she she wants to break out of those traditional gender roles she doesn't want to you know spend it at home tending a fire and maintaining her camp she wants to be out with the boys and proving herself to be useful and she does that she does protect her people she does kind of fulfill that she gets that um i forget what he gives her at the end when she comes back as a oh, knife. She, uh, she becomes like the war chief. Right. Yes, exactly. What an amazing way to kind of finish that film off is to see her mm-hmm. like ascend to what she thought was never attainable in spite of the badass predator. So I love it. Yeah. I love her journey. Um, it would be so easy to write this film and make her almost a caricature you know, um, mm. to make her a Disney character, essentially, you know, the badass girl that wants to be with the boys and can outshoot them and can outrun them. But if only somebody will see and then she proves herself. But it's so much more than that, because we see her fail. We see her screw up. We see her mm-hmm. get it wrong and suffer the consequences, both she and the people around her, and then have to summon the inner strength to pick herself up or dust herself off or escape and Mm -hmm. get back to it and really fight that good fight. So they, they took a risk with this one in a big way and it paid off beautifully with this character. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking to that, like thoughtfulness too, you, you, you mentioned like you see her also fail at times, but you also see her be, right at times but not be able to execute what she's right about what for a number of different reasons right because other people think she's hesitating when her brother shoots the hawk out of the sky and she goes well i was actually just waiting for it to come back to the other side of the river like you're just so gung you know basically like you're so gung-ho and you know you have to now go across the river to get it or um uh i just had another one in my head and now i'm blanking <laughs> on it um uh, oh boy, whatever. I'll cut that out. I've totally lost it. I'm so very sorry. <laughs> there's, 
<laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, so that is uh, my pick uh, for uh, the final pick, my final pick of the draft, uh, Nauru from Prey. Um, Nick, you're up with your final pick of the draft. All right. Um, I'm going to close it out with... This is so ridiculous. I'm going to close it okay. out with... The um, cat. When they were on the hunt. When she, she's like, you have to get the cat up into the tree. I'm so sorry, Nick. No, no, no. <laughs> it just uh, came back to me. I for- oh, that's what you're... <laughs> God. Uh, she's like, this is the way we'll get the big cat. And her brother's like, you know what? You were right. But, you know, she just she just couldn't execute it, right? Like, she just, she, she just for, you know, wasn't able to. But anyway, I'm so sorry, Nick. I no, so don't be. Just stepped, I so just, anyway, I had to get it out. I'm like, I know. No, I'm not at all. Um, my final choice is kind of a joke. Anyway, um, I'm going to go with Vince Vaughn as Millie Kessler in Freaky. Uh, if that counts. Oh, okay. Um, yes. Is that? Yeah. Counts. Yeah. yeah. All sure right. What's the, yeah. what's the character's name again? I'm so sorry. I think it's... Because I know it's Vince Vaughn, but what's the character's name? Millie Kessler, but I mean... Millie For Kessler, part of yes. the movie. Um, right. Uh, yes. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that might also be problematic in this movie and caricatures and all sorts of stuff, but at the end of the day... It's just a really fun movie with a perfectly cast Vince Vaughn, um, and it's just it's it's great. It's just a lot of fun. That's all. I, it's not even really about the character. It's kind of I don't know. It seemed like a fun way to close my list. Gotcha. Well, when you first said Vince Vaughn, all I was thinking was the Psycho remake. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> that's what I associate Vince Vaughn so much with with the horror genre. So that's why I yeah, had to ask again the character name. <laughs> um, yeah, no, th- I, I, you're right. I think it's you know it's. <laughs> perhaps a little problematic in some areas but i do find that like uh it's a very fun movie and it's you know a little fun and and ridiculous and silly and uh it's i had a lot of fun watching it i thought it was a blast um julia and Teresa, i'll let you talk about freaky well you know putting aside the kind of problematic the problematic road the concept could go down Mm. i do think it is interesting to talk about um what one can do having had the experience the lived experience of being a final girl but being perceived by society and those around you as you know this strong menacing cis white man I think that concept is very interesting and that does make Millie's character a really interesting final girl to look at what do you do when you're trying to save yourself and save other people and your lived experience says to react in one way, but the body you're in allows you or enables you to act in another way. And how are those two things at odds? How can those two things work together? And does the privilege that comes with outward appearance translate when your lived experience says otherwise? So maybe that's way too deep a read on a horror comedy. (laughs) But I think if I take that read on it, I can totally allow uh, that character as a final girl. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's a great take um, on that. And 
I, I think Juliet said pretty much everything that was inside my head, but I did want to echo, I think that Vince Vaughn is hysterical in the movie. I also had a lot of fun with it. Um, we saw it in the theater together and I like, I came out very pleased. Um, we had seen kind of a lot of like horror comedies and like fun little horror jaunts, um, around that time. So I was a little wary. I was like, okay, when is it gonna, when is the bubble gonna burst? When are we gonna start having crappy movies? But I think Vince Vaughn was hilarious and I think he did a great job of kind of embodying the like little teenage girl inside of a big dude's body. (laughs) I really think he did a good job with that. So yeah. Yeah, that could probably go awry pretty easily and seem a little too ridiculous and, you know, and, I mean, come and off it poorly. does. There are, you know, problematic parts of that movie. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's it is like Millie Kessler as a character, like if she existed in a vacuum without Vince Vaughn and it was, she is, you know, by design, like a very standard, boring, almost final girl. It's like the, because it's a horror comedy, like the twist is is that you know she there's this other dynamic um and uh and yeah i mean like yeah it's just fun nothing to take too seriously yeah and it also just makes her a little more fun when she is embodied by the killer and it's absolutely the body of millie kessler that's coming to kill the different people in the film it sort of works in in both regards and in that sense which is which is fun yeah it's very like I know, the same thing with Cabin in the Woods. It's a blast, and it's like, it's all of those stereotypes and horror on purpose, um, and and that's you know you twist them on their head. And anyway, I had a lot of fun with it. That's one that I just recently saw for the first time, and uh, so maybe oh, it's just nice. fresh in my head. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Excellent. All right, Teresa, Juliet, take us home here. You have the final pick of the draft. Okay. Um. Let's see. What do you think here? We just talked about that one, so maybe not. Yeah. That one. The last one? 30? Yeah. Or is that 28? Mm, let's do 30. 30? Yeah. Okay. okay. Did you call out the last one? Or did I? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> this is the story of our podcast. Is, who started this episode? <laughs> we have tried all of the ways to figure out how to determine who goes first. And we finally just put an extra column on our spreadsheet to determine who goes first because we just can't hack it. We are, we're the worst at figuring it out. We tried post-it notes. We tried all kinds of stuff. You say you're the worst, but you just heard me take two minutes to remember the second example I was thinking of from Frey. No. So I think you two are leaps ahead in terms of organization and the way that you're able to articulate on a podcast. Uh, I, I do have to go through the opening of all of my podcasts before I'm able to start. I, I like in my head, I have to say it before I do it. Uh, last Last time I recorded my history podcast, I was like, hello, everyone, and welcome to Attack of <laughs> that is not what we're doing tonight so i have done that live on the radio you have said the wrong show oh, oh, really? oh. But not i was gonna say attack the final girls you no said i've never done that okay yeah it'll happen oh, that's fair just wait. that's fair <laughs> uh, okay Juliet has a lot more pressure than i do because i can always just get edited out and she's live on the radio so um okay so we're doing 30 right yes. okay cool all right, so our very last pick and a more another more recent film, 
uh, is Maxine from 2022's <laughs> X. Excellent. Um, yeah, we we love Maxine. We loved Pearl, but Maxine is just such a cool final girl. Um, she's different. She's smart, but she's also just brave. You know, I would never do the stuff that she does in that film, like both on a personal level and also on a, like a killer level. <laughs> I could just never do it. Um, and it, it showed a side of a woman who is not exactly your squeaky clean final girl. She's not your Laurie Strode. She's doing blow in the dressing room. She's a porn star. She's sex positive. Um, she makes no apologies. She wants to be a star. She knows exactly what she wants out of life. And she's going to get it in spite of literally everybody around her dying and being the only one. So, um, yeah, I love the movie. I can't wait to see Maxine um, probably next year. I can't remember when that one's coming out. But, yeah, I think she's just so badass. Um, I know we've said that so many people are badass on this episode. But um, <laughs> I just love to see a realistic depiction of somebody who's broken. And she has made mistakes. And she... Uh, is not exactly the good girl. She's not the girl next door. She doesn't have the white picket fence. But by the end of the movie, you feel like she deserves to win. She deserves to have a win. Um, and she gets it. What I like about Maxine is that the the kind of most troubling or broken part about her is not that she is a porn star. It's her unrelenting drive for fame. And we obviously see that parallel with Pearl in the prequel. And I'm really curious to see how that's going to manifest in the next film and what her evolution is going to be as Final Girl. Because when we leave her at the end of X, she's escaped, but we don't know what's next for her. Is mm -hmm. it relief, then stardom? Or is it stardom and something far more sinister? And I like yeah. that although she is our hero, she is our final girl, she is morally ambiguous and not in the obvious surface ways. It's one of the things I love about X in general is that when you make pornography a central topic of the film and it's really the least morally ambiguous or lurid thing in the film, you're telling a really great story and Maxine fits right into that story. And we can't say enough about Mia Goth either. Yeah. Um, we loved her prior to this film. And then after this film, she's just such a showstopper um, playing two totally separate and completely individual characters. And then also literally carrying what's going to be a trilogy um, while also making other films like Infinity Pool and um, she just got a Marvel gig. Oh yeah, yep. So oh, yeah. she's just she's doing it all. She's got the career. She's got the family. No, I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about her personal life, but she's uh, she's fantastic. Just absolutely adore her, especially in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Maxine Minx was like one of my right at the top of the list honorable mentions. Um, yeah, excellent pick. I loved. Her and X, I think she's great. You mentioned we don't know how we end with that character. And I, I have a feeling it's going to go a certain way in Maxine. But I'll be very curious to see because I'm very excited to see that film and how the 
trilogy as of now um, gets rounded out. I'm very excited to see it. Nick, anything to add about Maxine before we put a bow on this draft? No, not on the character of Maxine. It's a great choice. I just uh, echoing Mia Goth's performance. And again, yeah. I you were talking about it in a recent episode I was listening to. Um, and she is just... I mean, she, it was recognized, obviously, but it, it wasn't, like, recognized in formal set. You know, like, it was, like, some critics yeah. recognized, but she did just, like, the monologue in Pearl is just incredible. One of the best movie moments of last year. Um, or, you know, one of the best movie seven minutes, as it were. Um, just incredible. Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for Maxine. I think they just, I think first day of production was sometime last week, so. Um, nice. And it's got a stacked cast. I, I know that's yeah. going to be great. Can't wait. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, that pick wraps up the final girls draft with uh, Juliet and Teresa from Attack of the Final Girls. To recap, in the first round, Juliet and Teresa took Danny from Midsummer. In the second round, they took Needy from Jennifer's Body. In the third, they took Selena from 28 Days Later. In the fourth round, they took Kirsty from Hellraiser. And in the fifth round, they took Maxine Minx from X. Uh, Nick, in the first round, you took Ellen Ripley from Alien. You took Sally Hardesty in the second round from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You took Laurie Strode from Halloween in the third. Um, Allison from A Lonely Place to Die in the fourth. And Molly Kessler from Freaky. But specifically Vince Vaughn portraying... (laughs) Wait... Millie Kessler, sorry. I'm having a hard time reading my own handwriting here in the fifth round. Uh, in the first round, I took Sydney Prescott from Scream. Then I took Nancy Thompson from A Nightmare on Elm Street in the second. I took Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs in the third. I took Maddie from Hush in the fourth. And then Naru from Prey. Julia and Teresa, do you have any undrafted free agents? That's the term we call for people who did not get drafted. Basically, your honorable mentions that you would sign to the team after the draft is over. We have so many. We We made a list of like 30. Again, we over-prepare. Sure, yeah. But I think there are a couple that we could call out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So our first one is Grace from Ready or Not, the 2019 yep. film, played by uh, Samara Weaving. Amazing. Mm-hmm. She's it's mm-hmm. just tons of fun. She's a great final girl. She does absolutely, absolutely. deserves a cigarette at the end of the movie. <laughs> at the very least. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent pick. Yeah. Uh, another would be Jess Bradford from Black Christmas, played by Olivia Hussey. Um, uh, one that I'm honestly surprised that nobody picked. Um, another yeah, one of our iconic final girls. Um, again, really kind of breaking that mold in a surprisingly early film, given, mm-hmm. you know, how feminist forward the ideas were, especially, you know, the sort of subplot of her character. Uh, just a really iconic, iconic role. Um, great, great choices. Uh, next one is Georgina Campbell from Barbarian, um, the final oh, girl nice. at the end of uh, that 2022 film. Um, what an arc. What an arc. Uh, <laughs> you think you know what the monster is, but you really don't know because it's different and it changes, but there's still that monster and another monster, and she makes it work. She she ends up uh, victorious, so loved that mm-hmm. one. Excellent. Uh, any others you want to shout out? 
I'll shout out one of my personal favorites as our last okay. one. Uh, Sarah from Day of the Dead. My oh, my absolute yeah. favorite Romero movie, which is a controversial choice depending on who you ask. Um, mm-hmm. I was a doubter originally. I was firmly a Dawn of the Dead fan and... My partner actually was like, no, 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 you need to give Day of the Dead another chance and pay attention to it. And I was like, oh, oh, I get it now. Um, Mm. Sarah going up against, in true Romero fashion, not just zombies, but living with a bunch of adversarial soldiers. You know, really, her adversary, less about zombies, more about Colonel Rhodes. And she Mm. is just a badass through and through. Yep. Uh, yeah, Julia, you have described my exact arc with Day of the Dead as well. <laughs> it is perhaps my favorite now of that original trilogy, and one that I was never really big into it when I'd first seen it, but it has grown on me over the years to the point where it is kind of possibly my favorite of that trilogy. I think it's fantastic. I think it's yeah. having its renaissance. Yeah. More and yeah, more absolutely. I see people talking about it and realizing like, Oh yeah, no, this is super real. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Um, I'll mention just a couple more that were on my um, honorable mention list that um, didn't get drafted. Um, Jenny Field, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, another one who just uses her smarts to um, take out the killer. Um, I think she's also just so like caring and compassionate you know she uses that background she has you know her education and um i think child psychology i believe is the degree she's working on to basically get into jason's head a little bit and that's what what she's able to um use to be able to survive that film which is uh, i think excellent um i wanted to give a slight shout out to speaking of proto final girls uh lila crane uh, in the original Psycho um, was sort of a, a low on my list, honorable mention um, as well. And then one other that I will mention is, and the reason I, you know, it stayed an honorable mention and didn't get chosen, even though the performance is fantastic, is just, um, it's again a dual role. And like, who is the who is the real final girl of these two characters? And that's Adelaida and Red, in, played by Lupita Nyong'o in Us. Um, I think she is by far the best part of that movie. Um, I, I still like that movie a lot, but I just think that Get Out and Nope um, sort of make Us pale in comparison a little bit, especially with the finale it kind of falls apart a little bit for me even though i love so much else that's in that movie i think there's so many like great um, aspects to the film and lapita Nyong'o's performance is just unbelievable uh, like such a strong performance um so those are just a couple that i'll mention that were on my honorable mention list nick did were there any left on your list because you said you had a hard time putting things together i did um I had Gail Weathers. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think she could... And, and another one whose character, you know, obviously she returns a lot and it, it she evolves a little bit. Uh, I also had Stokely from The Faculty. Um, oh, I love yeah, The Faculty. Yeah. So... Same. <laughs> that was a close one, but I, I didn't pick. And that, yeah, that was it. That's everything on my list, actually. Okay. So... <laughs> there you I've go. done it. <laughs> well, Juliet, Teresa... We cannot thank you enough for coming on to the podcast. This was an absolute blast. Um, Please tell our listeners where they can find you. 
Okay, you can find us at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok. And if Twitter still survives by the time that this episode posts, we are Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I just want to say, yes, thank you so much for coming on. And that uh, Nick and I are very excited because we will get a chance to come on to your podcast and talk Cemetery Man, a.k.a. De La Morte De La More. So we are very excited to uh, go on there as well, where... You know, we were daunted. It was daunting having you come on for this, but I think we'll be even more daunted going on to your podcast to discuss that film. So, yeah. but we are very much looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We we really had such a good time, even though we didn't know how drafts work until <laughs> literally right when we started. Um, no, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you oh, so thank much. You. And we can't wait to reciprocate. Excellent. I can't wait to talk Cemetery, man. I love that movie. It'll be yes. great. And, and thanks so much. so great much. to hear you had a great time on here. So thank you so yeah. much. And uh, everybody listening, uh, tune in next week or you'll hear uh, Cron Howard from the Five Day Rentals podcast. Come on and draft animal horror with us. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. The song you heard in this episode is You Are a Monster by Monroeville Music Center. It's being used under a CCBY Creative Commons license and was accessed from freemusicarchive.org. If you'd like to hear more of Monroeville Music Center, you can find them on Bandcamp, their Facebook page, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Discogs, iHeartRadio, and Deezer. And hey, if you want to reach out and communicate with us, please send an email to horrordraftspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at horrordrafts, all one word. We'd love to hear any questions you have for us, suggestions for topics to draft, or ideas for guests, especially if you can put us in touch with them. Thanks everyone, and we hope to hear from you soon. Oh,